Welcome to Taking Up Your Time with Bobby Benavides, and I'm here with the crew from Laughbox Podcast, which is really fun. Guys, welcome to the podcast. This is great. Hey, well, thank you for having us. So, so introduce yourselves. I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourselves, your, what you guys do, and who you guys are. All right. Okay. Katie, why don't you introduce yourself? Your story is much more interesting than mine. Oh, I doubt it, Jim Bob. I know your story, but hi. Excuse me. Katie B here and a professional clown and studying humorist. I'm in the year two of the Humor Academy and I'm on the tour of joy with Joy First Foundation, bringing joy and trying to connect humans on a world that doesn't seem to want to try and have us connect. I am a rebel and a little bit of an anarchist and trying to create community where there might not be any. I'm Jim Bob Williams. I am a certified humor professional through the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I am a retired engineer. I was the guy in the office that was the office Weisenheimer. After I retired, I did some work with community theater, took an improv class, and I said, I think I really should do something in this space. I'm not sure what it's going to be. I'm just going to look around. I looked around and I found the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor and said, all right, these are people studying humor to see how it's applied in a variety of situations, teaching, counseling, coaching, things like a hospital clowning coming in there. Just There's just a thousand and one ways that humor helps. And humor helps is the model of the Association for Applied Therapeutic Humor. Now, I am in West Virginia, St. Albans, West Virginia. Uh, here, that's a home base. I'm talking to you from World Headquarters, Joe LLC. What I'm and I will do it, almost anything for a laugh. I will do stand-up. I will do improv. I will write. I will make a fool of myself in public. And my motto is, it's never too old to be immature. And I'm a play therapist, a joy coach. I'm not a licensed therapist. But I believe adults need to play much more. And improv is one of the tools, as well as clowning. And as well as anything we can do to bring some more humor into what's happening. And yes, and that's all I'm going to say. Very cool. Very cool. I'm looking forward to our conversation today, guys. I think it's going to be great. I think, you know, what we, the focus of taking comedy and the value of it in therapy and being therapeutic. We always say laughter is the best medicine. At least that's what I say. And I think I'm. I think I probably have heard that along the way. And so how do we use it for therapeutic purposes? And now for, so I'm just going to jump quickly into like my story and how I've used it and how, why it's become so valuable to me because, so I was, my journey into stand-up comedy has been fun. Always wanted to be a stand-up comic when I was in middle school. And then it took forever for me to actually jump onto the stage. It wasn't until 2018 that I actually decided to give it a shot. And I'm 41 now, so there you go. Do the math, because I can't. So we, but when I started doing it, though, like I found myself getting so much joy from making other people laugh. Like that, I think that's been the biggest thing for me is that I've been able to actually experience joy making other people laugh, seeing them experience joy. Because ultimately for me, it's, oh man, like I, I want to laugh and I want to have a good time. But there's something about making other people laugh that makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something of worth, of value. It doesn't define me, doesn't make my worth, but it, it brings me a sense of worth because I'm providing something in that way. And recently I felt it even more. My father passed away last year, 
And my dad and I had an, a tough relationship. We didn't actually speak to each other for nine years. And then he passed away and we were able to clear things up like towards a couple of weeks before he passed. And I went out to California for his memorial service or to prep up for memorial service. And I found an open mic at the Chatterbox Comedy Club in Covina, in West Covina. And I decided, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just do it. I needed to. And so I got some, I told some friends of mine in the area to come out and it was incredible to me that at a time where mourning and sorrow was there, making people laugh washed away in a sense or took away that that grief, that that feeling of of what ifs with my dad. The broken relationship went away a little bit. It was like I felt like this is where I needed to be on that stage. And so the therapeutic piece of it all just brought some peace and brought some comfort and seeing other people laugh and hearing other people laugh just brought me something that was valuable. So yeah, so that's where I've experienced the therapeutic piece of it all. So let's talk into that. Like for you guys, what do you see? How does it work for you? I'd love to hear more. Right. Let me say you're not alone. Okay. There's a woman in my improv troupe and she said, after one particularly great workshop, she said, I know improv isn't therapy. But I find it therapeutic because when I'm in the improv class, things are going, I'm not thinking about what's happening during the day. I'm just in the moment. I'm just enjoying the time being with the people there. And I heard about a study this morning at a call from the Applied Improvisation Network that apparently when one is in the process of doing improv, the part of your brain that contains a lot of self-doubt and self-criticism, that goes inactive. And the part of the brain that, that helps your creative, you know, that lights up. This is done with functional MRI. But uh, I don't have the complete reference, but I will send that on there. And it was the first time I thought, wow, on a, you can actually measure what's happening in somebody. This is your brain on comedy. And it is different, right? Uh, when you were up on stage, all your worries, sometimes your worries overwhelm you, but that's okay. But generally, when you're on and you're performing, the worries go away and you're you're bringing joy to the people. Now, I'm going to say you're not alone because this one thing I found is lots of people in this space. So there's Robin Johnson, also comedian Robin Phoenix, who's been on this podcast, by the way. Okay. She's a retired army colonel and she had uh, tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and had to work through some PTSD issues and did so with stand-up comedy. And now she's helping others. She has a nonprofit called Hilarious, H-E-A-L-A-R-I-O-U-S dot org, where she's teaching stand-up comedy to other veterans and helping them get on their feet. And there's a gentleman in Canada, and if you look it up, Stand Up for Mental Health or StandUpForMentalHealth.com, David Grenier, I believe, he's been doing this for years. I was on a call last night with a woman who's been through his class, and she said it was just the, they tried other types of therapy. And what an interesting study in the New York Times that was released Monday said that, and happy National Mental Health Month to everyone. Okay. But that therapy works, but not all therapy works for some people. And people have, sometimes you have to find your niche okay, and what works for you. And Comedy, humor is one way of doing it. 
and I've taken up way too much time, Katie. Your words are always so important, Jim Bob. So therapeutic humor. My family life was a little tumultuous, to say the least. And in middle school, I found improv through a youth group. Changed my life. And as a performer, I've been performing for 25 years, whether it be uh, I went to circus school and I trained with physical theater and all sorts of different things. Some comedic, some not so comedic, some more expressive. But then I happened to have an abusive marriage. So when I left, I took all my skills and created a clown business that, as far as I'm concerned, saved my life. And it was so much because when I was not okay and I put my costume on and my face on and I was going to go do an event, it wasn't about me anymore. My family's also Cherokee, so the Native American concept of clown is removing the negative space in the room so that you can allow for more love and joy. And to me, it's 100% was absolutely real and true. And it did that for me. And I was, of course, affected by clowning for terminal children, clowning for wounded warriors, clowned, clowning for dementia patients, clowning for children that were had holes in their head and couldn't get out of bed. But yet we could still laugh and we could still have connecting moments. To me, all of it is therapeutic. The science of what we're learning from laughter. I'm also a laughter yogi. Simulated versus real laughter. You're getting the same brain chemicals. You're getting the same benefits. And I look forward to the day when I can freely express my relationship with my mom on a stand-up stage. Because <laughs> we're not there yet. Because there's so much material. And yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your take, Bobby. Yeah, I, I think it's. You know, I think what we have to realize is that there, there's obviously the brain chemistry, right, that we know about, that the endorphins and the dopamine that's released, and we experience the joy, experience the repeated joy, and we want more of it. And I think that I think comics, right, when we're doing our when we're doing our job right, I think. There's a dopamine that's released in us that when we're getting the laughter, it's almost like what we're seeing with Facebook and social media, right? When we know we have the likes that are pressed on a regular basis, there's something that's being released in it. We got to get more likes. We got to get more likes. When we're having the laughs, we got to get more laughs. We got to get more laughs. And we're not getting the laughs. We get really beat up. We start beating ourselves up over it because, wait a second, like, why didn't I get the laughs? That's, I got to go tighten up my set. I got to go work on my set. I got to keep going. And so the therapeutic side, to a degree, can be healthy, but also if we're not careful, it can also be unhealthy. And then when we start having those times where we're feeling down, we're feeling like we're not matching up, or in this day and age where we're watching social media, TikTok famous comedians, the ones that are, you have the million views, and then all of a sudden they're headlining, and they've only been doing comedy for 20 minutes. And you're like, wait, how did this happen? And then you have the comics who have been working for 20 years, and they're like, we're still doing open mics, or we're still trying to get gigs that people would trust us. It creates attention, right? It creates attention because, again, when, and this is kind of where my thought is if we're not getting therapy ourselves and we're not giving therapy, 
then we can start feeling like we're not, that we're not making it right. That we're not, I almost want to say not successful because again, if we're, if this is a part of who we are, this is a part of the process for us. Cause a lot of comics, like, like you said, like you're carrying a lot of stuff in you. And a lot of times that's what brings you to the microphone because you're carrying stuff from your past. You have a lot of dark stories. You have a lot of funny stories, but life in a different way. And a lot of times it's because it's become coping mechanisms. And I feel like I'm going around in a circle on this a little bit, but I feel like it's perfect. Keep going. But I feel like when I was in middle school, the reason why I love doing comedy so much is because I wasn't, I didn't fit in. Right. I was raised in a primarily wealthy white community. I was a poor Hispanic male who lived across the, like literally on the other side of the railroad tracks, because there was a railroad track that divided our community that said, once you go to this side, you're heading into the gang territory or whatever. And I lived on that side. I lived in the trailer park and I had to go to the school with a bunch of wealthier kids wearing my Costco clothes before it was cool to wear Costco clothes and being made fun of because I'm wearing Costco clothes and trying to figure out how to make myself get out of the the territory being made fun of. So then I had to start making jokes about myself in order to fight against the people already ready to make the attacks. But then I also had to find ways to like, I, I remember thinking back to being a stupid eighth grade kid, trying to make everybody laugh. My bald headed math teacher, I won't say his name because I don't know if he's alive. And so I just <laughs> want to make sure that he's okay. But I remember he's a, my bald headed math teacher and he was up at the board. I got up and at the time I had hair and that's probably why I lost all my hairs because of what I did here. I went up and I started pretending to comb my hair in the shine of his baldness. I was like, (laughs) and because I was just that kind of kid. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and make people laugh. So I found a way to do it. He turned around, busted me and sent me to the principal's office. And I remember sitting and telling the principal what I was doing. And he was like trying to punish me while laughing about it because you did that. That's really creative, but that wasn't good, right? Um, And so now I'm cursed with that baldness. But again, it was like, that was my therapy was I had to cope with being the kid that everybody made fun of to by making people laugh and feel at least he has something to offer. He's an overweight, poor kid that really has no social value at least that's the way i perceived it and so now i'm bringing joy and laughter to the groups that i'm in now i have something to bring to the table and so that was my that was how i knew okay i have something to offer and that could be why i love chris farley so much because it's like i think he and i had a lot in common it was like we were always trying to figure out how to make fun of ourselves for the joy of other people but thankfully, I've, I'm, I didn't love him as much as he loved Jim Belushi. And physical comedy, Robin Williams, Chris Farley, Chevy Chase, giant influences on me. So my first through improv introduction into how to be funny was with physicality. And it took a while for me to learn how to speak. I'm, I feel like that's a lifelong lesson is to find a, something to speak speak about an irony, especially because I learned physicality first and finding the funny is a muscle that we continue to strengthen every day. And you started middle school. And I wonder, do you have siblings, Bobby? I have an older brother, but we have two half 
brothers. So I have an older brother who got adopted by my grandparents who I saw at summertime. And then my little brother came when I was 18, 19 years old. So yeah, I had a bunch of cousins. But essentially you were an only (laughs) child, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that if we get into analysis, I would say (laughs) that you were distant in terms of didn't have siblings to make fun of or siblings to bounce things off of. And it was your friends and it was what what you were experiencing in, in your middle school is what I'm hearing. That was your transition or transformational period. Yeah, I think that'd be, yeah, that's fairly, that's fair and accurate. I think, uh, yeah, I'm, he- I'm healed. Thanks. I'm just kidding. Yes. Huh. No. I just have a moment of personal insight here. Comedy is a lot about recognizing incongruities when things don't match. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or, Terms of, and again, there are studies that point out how many milliseconds it takes the brain to recognize an incongruity and resolve it as laughter. My background is engineering. I did a lot of auditing. So I was trained to look for defects, incongruities, when things are out of spec, when, when equations don't balance, when, when I was an auditor, when records didn't match up with various requirements. And I think that comedy is a way for us to reconcile the incongruities we see in our lives. Okay. Like, why should there, there be this click system in high, in high schools? Okay. Rich mm-hmm. kids versus poor kids, different side of the tractor. I had a little bit of that. I grew up in a public housing project. And when I went to college, I was with people who were, you know, all my possessions fit in a duffel bag when I started school. And I was uh, later joined a fraternity where some of these people had cars, you know, from the times that they, times that they were freshmen. Real disparity in incomes, but we were able to get along. And if we can make that along, then how come other parts of society can't? And then later I had a cultural shock. I moved from New York to West Virginia as an engineer. That's where I picked up the nickname Jim Bob. Okay. My middle name is not Bob. I found that if I took a unit and also... Working with people who were a lot smarter than I was, I may have had a master's degree in engineering and all that, but I was running with some PhDs, published, nationally recognized folks. That was a different league. Okay? And I couldn't compete with them on mental horsepower. Okay? But if I could get them to laugh, it would, yeah. build, it would build up the working relationship and we could usually get the problem solved. So, I was, again, I went from a urban culture in New York City more rural culture in West Virginia, did a lot of projects in Louisiana and Texas. And, and again, so that it was easier for me to come in as Jim Bob and came in and make start the meeting with a joke, put people at ease, and go on from there. So I'd like to talk about something that uh, Steve Wilson, who's one of, one of the deans of laughter for the AATH and laughter. When we talk about therapy, we're talking about putting something back together. To heal it. Okay. So mm-hmm. his question was this is what does <clears throat> mental health what's the definition of mental health? We usually talk about things that are broken, but how can humor improve mental health? And what is what is meant for, for 25 words and 25 words or less, what does mental health mean to you? Ooh, what is mental health that's in 25 words or less? I feel like that's, yeah, that's a, right. Oh man. We only got so much um, time on the podcast, you know, come on. Yeah, I would think for me the way I look at it is like a piece, with your, a piece with yourself. 
a peace with yourself. I think that, that's that mental health is recognizing that you a peace with yourself. Oh, that's great. I like the word resiliency is mental health is stuff happens. And how do we deal with it? How do we take it and work with it and heal from it and continue moving forward and learn from it? Mental health is, it's not being perfect all the time. It's not having a perfect life. It's not saving the world. But how do you save yourself every day? I can't, I'm not Hispanic, so I can't relate to that part of the equation. <laughs> but definitely going to a school where the lifestyle was much higher than my upbringing. And, you know, and how, again, how do we deal with that? And I want to, in, in the vein of coming from one place and showing up and how that might feel showing up in a place where maybe you don't quite fit in. I know part of the talk you wanted to do was on imposter syndrome. And so tell us how that works into your profile, puzzle, whatever you'd like to call it. What's funny is you said, I'm not Hispanic, so I can't relate to that. But what's funny is there's a lot of people who would say that about me too, is that you're not Hispanic enough. Now, now check this out. So I get kicked out of middle school, right? Because I get into a fight in eighth grade. I get kicked out of the school and I couldn't go to another middle school in the community because that's on the other, like the boundary line. Um, that, that was where the really rich kids went. And so they knew for a fact I wouldn't fit into that one. So they're like, okay, you can't go there. So then they sent me to this middle school that was in another community that was like, anyway, it was primarily though, Mexican and African American. There were probably two or three white people in this school. Now, I was not raised to speak Spanish. Everybody in my family spoke Spanish. Jim Bob was a part of my comedy special. He heard that whole deal about me trying to figure out how to fake <laughs> to be Mexican. But so then I go to this school. Here's the Mexican group. They hear my name. They expect me to fit in. I can't speak Spanish. And so instantly they're like, you're not one of us. So then I'm going to this one pocket where there's the one white kid and one like really smart African-American kid who didn't fit in with his group. And so we became our own little group because we're like, we don't, we're like the, the, we're in our Island of Misfit toys. Like here we are, like we don't work. Like we, we don't work here at all. And, but yet we're all like, here we are. I've got to figure out how to make it. So imposter syndrome has been a part of who I am all my life is that I don't fit in with I, Katie. You don't, I, I'm allergic to flour tortillas. I am a Mexican allergic to flour tortillas. This is a part of my story. I go, wow. to my, I go to my family functions and I'm like, hey, guys, let's go ahead and eat. But I can't eat what you're eating. I'm going to have to go ahead and I make a joke about that because like, I, just, I just couldn't do it. Couldn't speak Spanish. I, I'm not a good gardener. Like, not to be racial stereotypes, but that's just the reality. I wasn't one. And so for me, it's like I've always been a part of this whole how do I fit in and while I'm fitting in, realizing I don't necessarily know if I do. I played football. I tried to play football well. But then all the athletes, I remember having the star athlete in my, he was a, he was older than all of us, but yet he was in the same grade. You know how that works. But he, he was just a bigger guy. And I had a funny comical shirt on from the Far Side comics. It was a picture of dinosaurs smoking. And it said, the real reason dinosaurs went extinct. One of my favorite, one of my favorite ones. I'm wearing it to practice. And he's like, what are you wearing? And I'm like, this is my funny shirt, man. It's underneath my pads. It's not like anybody can see it. 
is real athletes don't wear shirts like that. And I was like, in my mind going, is he right? You know, so maybe I'm not a real athlete. So I was like trying and I had some stuff happen where it was like just my athleticism came to an end because of concussions and stuff, which is why I'm so scatterbrained on why I talk right now, I think. Ultimately, though, it's like I was always trying to figure out how do I fit in with crowds and am I really a part of this? And so when I think of doing comedy, yeah, I'm making people laugh, but am I really making people laugh? Am I really a a comedian or am I just a guy who's funny? Am I really meant to do this? Am I? And then when I go to other clubs or whatever, and there's people who have their own cliques, right? Because there are the cliques of comedy areas and you show up and you're like, and they're all just talking to each other. They know that you're a comic too. They've seen you perform. They've seen you do it. And they just stay in their clique. And you're like, I, so am I not allowed to intermingle with you? Am I not? Maybe I'm not really meant to be here. Maybe I'm not really a comedian. Maybe they don't see me as that. And then I leave going, no, it's just because they're blue comics and I'm a very clean comic. So that's probably why they don't. So I start justifying, but then I start to come back to saying, am I just, am I an imposter? Am I, do I really, is this really working for me? So yeah, that's where, that's where it goes. That's where my, that's where my thoughts go to a lot of times. Can we hear about how that fuels your comedy? How does it feel? Like, I have a lot of jokes about it. I have a lot of jokes about how I don't fit in. I call it my lack of Mexicanity. I'm not a very I'm not a very good Mexican, so I have the big set on that. I do make a lot of jokes about about my clothing when I was where the clothes I wear and I wore weird. I just, I just made up my own little word there. I don't speak English well either. Okay, um, I so love it. But I make jokes about that. But it's like when it comes to I think it it drives me to make sure I'm writing good jokes to make sure that I'm f- making sure that I'm memorizing my sets as opposed to coming up with a phone or a notebook trying to read off of it because I want to I want to be as good as I can be reading books and studying that kind of stuff so I can make sure that I'm I'm go- I'm going to put everything I can into this so that way hopefully people will believe that I'm meant to be on the stage. Let me offer this observation. By making your comedy drawing from real life experiences and your own feelings, okay? Okay. You're not an imposter. You're portraying yourself. You're telling your story. You're choosing to tell it in a funny fashion. Okay. But you're not an imposter because you're really who you are when you go on the stage. And you should be proud of that. You know, you're not you're not getting your jokes off chat GBT or some old Hannah Youngman collection of jokes or something like that. You're going up right. there, you're authentic, and when it connects, it's such a beautiful thing. And so don't beat yourself up, I'm sorry, because you are being real. I appreciate that. I really do. And if you've heard me, so that means that yeah. I'm going to take that, I'm going to take that, yeah. because you've, you've heard me, and you, I mean, you were there, and uh, that, that means something, so that's good. And uh, I'm more Hispanic than you are, I have to say, because uh, I do speak Spanish, and I can speak all the dialects, so I can tell you that I'm from Argentina and talk about Plasha. And I know, okay. but uh, my friend, I'm teaching my friend in Venezuela how to speak English. And we lived, we were in a flat together in Spain, is where we met. And uh, and recently, she said that I was like the most Hispanic American lady that she knew, or whatever. <laughs> and I take that as an absolute compliment. <laughs> and I want to share some of that compliment with you. And say, you know what? 
you could, for in my eyes, you could learn Arabic and become an Arabic speaker person and pretend to be from those countries. You could also pretend to be Turkish. The beauty of of not having an origin that is obvious is that you get to make up your own. <laughs> I like that. I like that idea. I think that's a fun that's a fun plan. Looks like a and I just downloaded Duolingo, so that gives me a reason why now. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. I actually I stopped someone on the street here yesterday because they spoke Arabic and I learned just a teeny bit of it. And they gave a note with a way to learn more Arabic. Talik, T-A-L-E-K, is a language app with also other languages. But so where I could learn how to say, how are you? Because I couldn't remember how to say it. Huh. And But I'm a language collector because it's one of those things of trying to connect with people that I don't know. And sometimes... Imposter syndrome, right? I say, mm-hmm. what do you say? How do you start the conversation? Mm-hmm. I'm a white girl with blue eyes. And I say, <laughs> so, where's your accent from? And they go, America. And I go, no, it's not. I know it's not. <laughs> and they don't know I'm trying to connect. So then, mm-hmm. oh, what's your family of origin? America. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> and but and I just want to I want to share out there in the podcast world like it your roots are just as important as you and how your roots created you are just as important as you and let's embrace globally just plain who we are and how we do it because it's all correct and right and perfect. That's great. That's great. Nothing but about imposter syndrome is who's setting the bar to say who's real? What do you call a person who finishes last in med school? Someone I wouldn't want to go to, but okay, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're, they're there as much a doctor as the valedictorian, the salutatorian, okay? and, and they're, they probably know something about a specialty that the other kids and the kids, other students in the class didn't, didn't know. I think in imposter syndrome, be careful of the the measuring stick that you're putting yourself up against. Okay. That, okay. Like to say, comedian. Okay. Are we Jerry Seinfeld? No. Jerry Seinfeld's paid his dues, works a year or so refining a set before it takes out tested all kinds of places. Okay, that's fine. But you're still a comedian. You're telling a different story, different perspectives. It's that. Oh, where, what, there's a there's a story about. Excuse me, I'll have to again. This is another one I'm going to have to look up and tape. Uh, but about a Jewish guy who dies, goes to heaven. He's, God asks him, "What did you do?" And he says, "I, I couldn't. I couldn't do miracles like Moses. I wasn't a strong leader like King David. I wasn't. I didn't have the smarts of Solomon." Okay, and God says, "I didn't ask you to be Moses or David Solomon. I just asked you to be to be yourself and bring your gifts to the world." And that's. You just got to be happy That's you have that niche, so bring it there. That's the piece of the puzzle for somebody else that you're going to connect with. In there. And there's a much better telling of the story, and I'll get my big book of Jewish humor here out a little bit. But yeah, that's, you did, I, I don't know, it was Andrew Tarbin. Andrew Tarbin. This is a guy who talks about humor in the workplace. Brilliant. Uh, in your case. His TED Talk has over a million hits. Okay. His TED Talk on humor and work. Brilliant stuff. What annoys him? 
when he scrolls through the several thousand comments saying, great, love it, love it. There'll always be one person that goes, eh, it wasn't so hot. Eh, better, better. And that will annoy him. And he said this in other, other things. Yeah, so to use the right yardstick, okay? So, yeah, no, that, and I think that's the thing, though. It's, you use the right yard. It's measuring against yourself, right? You aren't measuring against other people. And I think that's the part that, for me, I'm trying to get to. I, I, I think I'm fairly good at it. Like, I'm fairly good at doing it. But I, I think when it comes to when you're at the clicks, right, when you go to the group clubs and you don't fit in with the clicks, then you start going, okay, they're like, why am I not? Why am I not in that? What am I doing? And then that's when you're like, okay, so I'm sitting here at the table having a drink by myself. Here's the group talking amongst themselves. And then like, all of a sudden, like, well, hey, Bobby, you're funny. Yeah. And you're like, why did what happened? And then you have to play that game of okay, if they don't think I'm funny, and there are other comics, then how can these other people who are not comics think I'm funny? And then you have to realize, maybe those comics just don't get you. And you're not going to always make everybody laugh. And you have to keep reminding yourself that. Not everybody's going to get everything about you. Not everybody's going to fall into your humor. Not everybody's going to see your jokes and be like, oh, man, that's the best one. That's so funny. But then you go tell it somewhere else, and they're great. I tell this joke, and it's a joke I'm still – it's out there. It's on. It's been on the internet. But the joke of feeling like I disappoint – I hate feeling like I disappoint people. And I talk about that as a kid. But then I get so caught up in myself that I'm also fearful that I'm letting down Smokey Bear. You know, because it's like he says only you can prevent forest fires. And then there's a forest fire. Yeah. And he said only I could prevent it. Like it's on me. I'm messing that <laughs> right now. See, yeah. that, see, and I get some people to laugh at it. But then there's other people who are like, and I'm like, that I feel like is a good one. But then it's, and so like you say, there's a bunch of people over here who say it's great. And then there's the people over here, man, that's a, yeah. And you're like, wait a second. And then. So then you have to just keep, I have to keep coming back to, am I measuring myself against Nate Bargatze? Am I measuring myself against Jim Gaffigan, the kings of clean comedy? Because that's who I have to measure myself against because I can't look at Kevin Hart and be like, why am I not Kevin Hart? Because he says a lot of stuff I won't say. But so am I measuring myself against all the guys with Netflix and Amazon specials? Or am I measuring myself from where I was a couple months ago, a year ago? In 2021, when I recorded my comedy special, am I actually further along in my comedy career or in my comedy, in my joke writing, in my delivery, and in my connection with the audience? Am I better than I was two years ago? And if I can measure myself to that, then that will keep me from falling into that imposter syndrome because I'm only an imposter if I don't stay true to myself. And Jim Bob, when you said that to me, that's what I, that's what I internally, I want to believe that. And I want to hold on to that. So when I hear somebody else say it to me, it makes me feel good. Okay. That's exactly how I want to portray myself is that you're never going to get a different Bobby on stage or all what what you're going to see on stage is who you're going to see in person and who you're going to interact with in real life. I'm not going to be something different. And my stories might be a little bit more exaggerated, but they're true stories. They're like I'm not making a bunch of stuff up just to go ahead and make people like I'm making. I'm bringing true story stuff and true emotional feeling stuff onto stage, trying to make people laugh at that. And again, if I'm measuring myself to myself, then the only way I'm going to be an imposter is if I'm not true to myself. Yeah. And so that's how I have to maneuver, and that's how we all have to maneuver. I think in the comedy realm. And did I hear you're a pastor? Yeah. 
I'm just, yeah. I'll, put that, I'll put that in quotations. I'm a pastor. No, yeah, no, I am. I, Can you I, say I, more about it? Yeah, so I, we planted a church here in Elkins, West Virginia in 2017, 2018. And yeah, I've been in ministry for, I was in youth ministry for 20 something years. And it's funny because when I was in youth ministry, people would always ask me, so what were the things you wanted to be when you wanted to grow up? And I always said, stand-up comic, lawyer, and a doctor. Those are the three things that I always wanted to be. Not in that order, but those are the three things I want to be. And then I go into ministry and youth ministry, and I was like, I'm making kids laugh all the time. I'm arguing the case for <laughs> why the church is important, why Jesus is true, and all that stuff, and how we're supposed to live to love and all that jazz. And then here I am also helping people with their spiritual healing in a sense, right? right. And I'm like, isn't that crazy? how that works, where it's like all the three things that I always wanted to be, and here I am doing youth ministry. And then I become a lead pastor, and I'm still doing it. And every once in a while, I'll try out jokes on my congregation unintentionally. Like, I'll I'll have it written on, like, that's funny. Let's see how they respond to that one. (laughs) And what they do, I'm like, chalk it up to when I go do a church show or something, that's going to be a good one. I have to do a a show for uh, pastors in August that there's a dinner cruise that they're doing. And so they asked me to come do comedy for them. And so I like, I'm like using some of my church jokes, even though I don't do church jokes normally from the stage. I'm like, I got to have something to give these pastors because they got to have to have something to take to their congregation because we all know other pastors aren't funny. I'm the only good one. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, that's kind of, that's, yeah, so that's where that's at. Yeah, that's, I was wondering if you were using your comedy to in your being a pastor so the answer is yes and i love it i love it because again that's a way of bonding this is the science is showing us that through laughter we can bond more quickly it's pain relief so if you're giving somebody less laugh rights get it Uh i'll stop there (laughs) that's why i got kicked out of the last funeral i did so (laughs) say more no i'm just kidding (laughs) here i am making jokes about this dead guy over here are there any events Concerts, gigs, books, links, links. Yeah, that you want to share. How do people want to know more about you? Where do they go? Yeah, so in my show, I put it in the show notes where they can go to bobbybcomedy.com. They can find me on TikTok, Instagram under Bobby B Comedy. We have. I'm going on tour starting in October with, or late September into October, doing a little ten day tour with another clean comic at the Rev T Mac out of Maryland. So you can see more about that. We're going to be, right now we have three three venues lined up with the potential of more coming in the next month or two. So we're excited about that. In fact, Jim, Bob, you and I are going to be doing one in right. Glen Ferris in October, October 14th. That sounds right. Yeah. So that'll be, that's that. And books, I have several. I've written two, I've written a book called Made for More, which is a journey for, a book for people going through a Christian journey. I wrote my first children's book in 2021 called Gregory's Big Move. And I'm proud of that one because I got the Mom's Choice Awards. I'm good with the moms. So that's how that works out. My my wife wouldn't, would probably laugh at that joke because we have four kids. So I'm, I'm good with that mom. That's that's a good one. But anyway, so yeah, I have that book and, uh, and then a couple of devotionals out there and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's what I do. It's been fun. So yeah, those are all the different things you can look me up at. Do your kids think you're funny? All the time. Yeah, I actually, my son, my oldest son, he's 10. He's, I want to be like you, but I don't at the same time. So I want to be a pastor, but I also like comedy. 
but I also want to be a veterinarian. So that's why he's going to be different. He's, like, he's going to go into the veterinary thing and take care of animals. He's like, but I like making people laugh. And so he'll come down and try to tell jokes. And sometimes he'll tell jokes that I know he got from somewhere. And I'm like, did you make that one up? And he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Let's work on let's work on developing our own jokes. So we do that together sometimes. But yeah, he's, yeah, it's great. I'll be at the Glenn Ferris Inn with Bobby Benavides. And Attorney Sigler on October 14th, that's just east of Charleston, West Virginia. For those yeah. there. Where can you find me? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. I waste time on all the social media I can. Also, you can find articles I've written on prostatecancer.net. A couple of jokes of mine have actually made it into comedy cures. But I don't have the big tour. I don't have the big show. I do hope, hopefully we'll be doing a Father's Day show Tuesday, June 13th at the Cold River Coffee in St. Albans. Nice. So I yeah, just tried to get together, have an open mic and keep the comedy flame alive here. And where else can you find me? Oh, I don't know. He has at least one daily joke on Facebook every day and cracks many people up on a regular basis. Actually, that yes. is my therapy. I wake up in the morning. I can't function the rest of the day unless I can think of one joke. If I can do that, I'm set for the day. That's just how I roll. It's awesome. And, uh, I'm an elder in our church, so I put the humor into the announcements there. And part of that is to encourage an atmosphere of safety and, and laughter there. Although sometimes I will upset people. Like we had one of our one of our members moved away and came back for a visit. So I'm like, hey, Mike, how's things going in witness protection? And everybody turned around to look at him. That was cool. I consider myself the funniest Presbyterian east of the Ohio River. That is not a high bar to clear, though. So There you go. You can find out things that I do at Katie, K-A-T-Y, B as in boy, E as in Edward, E as in Edward, LLC.com. That's KDBLLC.com or joyfirst.org. And I have Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, all over any of those names. So Joy First Foundation has a TikTok and a YouTube and social media. And KDB also has all the same. I have a sneaky travel TikTok under Ooh. the name Normalcy because Ooh. I don't want to go back to normal. And and so that's just a side project for the last two years of per constant travel, like van life travels, weird places, paranormal places. Yeah, we have got to get you to the Mothman Festival in West Virginia or the Bigfoot Festival. Yeah, and I, I've written for Watch GQ, as a matter of fact, paranormal stuff about the Clown Motel in Tonopa, Nevada, and oh. Tonopah, excuse me, Tonopah, <laughs> Nevada. And, and yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of everywhere because I live in this van and I used to live in an eight foot trailer, but I traded in for the van. And so now I'm at least self-sufficient and can stop and be anywhere, which is really fun, actually. That's and great. Um, one of the goals was to try and camp behind stand-up open mics. If you ever head into the Covina, California realm chatterbox has a great open mic i'm not even i'm promoting them because i think their open mic is fantastic thursday nights at 8 p.m i believe is what time it starts it's every thursday night so if you're ever that way go there because i i love i've been i've done it twice and 
they put on a great open mic. It's a great venue. And if you need somewhere to park, I'm pretty sure my, my grandma lives up the road. She'd let you park in her front there. So she'd be cool with that. So That's nice. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily, <laughs> I'm easy because I yeah. don't actually have to go in the house. <laughs> I can get it set up for you. You'd be good. <laughs> Fabulous. That sounds awesome. And the chances of being in California are very high. There um, you go. Yeah, as most and most people in California are very high, so that kind of works well, out. Well, that's actually that's quite true. As a matter <laughs> of fact. I need to celebrate just for a second that I think in one year I have done coast to coast. So I was in California last yeah. year at this time, yeah. and I just got back from New York. Awesome. And we have one more question that Jim Bob forgot to ask. It's his, yes. his signature question. Okay. That le- in speaking of. <laughs> comedy, therapeutic comedy, pastorism. I'm making that up. Imposter syndrome, not together with pastorism. And sometimes. Oh, so Jim Bob wants to know about Thursday, Jim Bob. Your practice of humor. Mm. Okay. So how does it affect you on Thursday? What do you, you know, it's just a, it's just another busy week. You get this meeting going to this meeting and that meeting and somebody's calling up and they need some help and but how does humor help you on Thursday? I find myself, I'm always writing. So whether it's in my phone, I'm writing or whatever. But so I always take time to just think a funny thing. Honestly, with kids, I work from home. Yeah. They are a part of my processing. Um, sometimes they stress me out. Sometimes they wear me out. But uh, so when everything's going crazy, my almost six-year-old son comes up to me today. He was playing outside and he had sunscreen on two night, two days ago and he sprayed, he sprayed it all over and put it on. And afterwards he's supposed to go up and take a shower. I busted him the other day where he didn't take a shower properly. Like he had shampoo, but he didn't soap himself up and he got out of the shower and I was like, why are the loofahs dry? And he's like, and I said, you didn't put soap on. So anyway, fast forward to today, I said, did you not wash your face with soap and water again last the other night? And he said, yes. And I said, now did you? And he's like, no. And then his older brother, he said, but he tells me that's a mark of being a man. That's how you become a man is having, and I'm like, mark of being a man is getting a rash on your face or not washing it up? And he said, yeah. And I said, what? No, buddy, that's not how it works. And he says, it is your face. So we're coming from the idea of not washing your face and having a rash so what if a wolf scratches your face? And I say, and you survive it? He's like, yeah. And I said, I guess that could be a sign of being tough. And he said, and then he said, yeah, that's true. Because our sister could probably take it. She could probably take a wolf scratching her face. And she, <laughs> she's not necessarily a man. And I'm like, what, what happened? So that, that's how I handle Thursdays. Is that here it is. These kids just say random things. And they bring me back to, yeah, you know, that's my life right there. It's yeah. just being random and thinking crazy things. So it's good. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I love that. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being awesome. Thanks for putting your feet on the ground and waking up today and being here with us. Thank you. All right. Well, that was my discussion with Jim, Bob, and KDB. Um, Man, so good. I enjoyed that so much. I hope you did too. Thanks again for listening to Taking Up Your Time with Bobby Benavides. I'll be talking to you guys later. Bye.